Well, today's message is the second in a series on gratitude, two out of two. And remember, last week I asked you a question, and that is, are you grateful for the blessings of God? Ten, being over here, ten, on a scale of one to ten, are you grateful for the blessings of God? Or are you more over here? I take for granted, if I'm honest, I take for granted the blessings of God. Where are you on a scale of one to ten? Are you over here? Where you, desert, where you understand that everything that you have is a gift from God, that you deserve nothing, but God has given you everything, and all you can do is say thank you? Are you over here acknowledging every day his blessings? You see, we live in a world of entitlement. We think we deserve pizza delivered to our home in 30 minutes or less. We think we deserve an unlimited data plan. We deserve... <laughs> Thank you, brother. You know, I'm a much better preacher when I have support. We think we deserve an SUV because we have a large family. We need to make sure that they're safe and they're comfortable. We live in a world of entitlement. And yet so often we take for granted the things that we have. We take for granted that this morning when we got up and went and took a shower, the water was hot. We take for granted that we had a toilet that actually flushes. We take for granted that there's heat in the winter and air conditioning in the summer. We take for granted the many blessings that we have. We take for granted God's provision for us, his salvation. We take for granted our health, our friends, our church. And like the nine lepers, we fail to return to say thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your blessing. You see, everything we have is a gift from God. We deserve nothing, and yet everything comes from him. So where are you on this scale? If you're honest, if you're really honest, are you more over here? I take for granted God's gifts. Are you here in the middle somewhere? Yeah, I'm grateful, but I, I forget to say thank you. Sometimes I'm more like the nine than I am the one, and I'm not that returner. Or have you come to that place where daily you're saying, Lord, I understand everything is a gift from you. You see, we are ungrateful. We lack, our lack of gratitude is hard for us to see. It's hard to see in the mirror. We, we know when we're jealous. We know when we're angry. We know when we're nervous. We know when we're insecure. But, but that lack of gratitude, it's hard to see in us. Matter of fact, if somebody were to come to you and say, you know, you're an ungrateful person, you would immediately become defensive and you would begin to say, no, no, I want to tell you how grateful I am and you would show them how you are grateful. It's hard to see ingratitude in the mirror. A lot of us, we struggle with this issue of gratitude. I had many of you tell me last week that message was for me. I, I struggle being thankful. And the reality is every single one of us in the room needs a gratitude adjustment from time to time. We have to remind ourselves with our intellect and our will, what is it that I deserve? I deserve nothing, and yet God has blessed me with everything. We have to reposition our thinking with God's and understand and be grateful. Have you ever gone to a lot of trouble preparing something very special for someone and they barely even acknowledged your efforts? You planned, you saved, you prepared, you thought out of, you thought of every detail. 
You worked like crazy to surprise someone, to bless someone, to honor someone. And you did not do it to be thanked, and yet when thank you did not come, there was a tinge of hurt inside. Imagine how God feels when he gives us life, when he gives us his love, when he gives us his presence, the Holy Spirit to dwell among us and in us, when he blesses us, when he gives us his son, Jesus Christ, who died on a cross, who paid the price for our sins, and we fail to say thank you. You see, when we dig up the roots of entitlement, gratitude will grow in the soil. You see, gratitude begins my sense of entitlement in. So what is it you deserve? You see, if we understand we deserve nothing and everything is a gift of God, it changes everything. Last week we talked about desires. You know, I do a lot of premarital counseling and, and I meet with couples and, and we talk about you know, what their desires are, what they envision. And you know, they say, I envision that we'll manage our money this way. I envision that we'll manage our time a certain way. I envision that she will take care of certain duties because, you know, my mom took care of certain duties. I, I envision that he will be take care of the maintenance things and because my dad or, or vice versa. And we have these roles that we envision, we desire. We talk about how many children we'd like to have, if we have any children at all. And, and I desire, I envision. We talk about the home that we might like to have someday. I expect, I envision, I, I think this is what I hope for. And we have these desires. We think about, you know, maybe if we manage our, manage our money well enough, one of these days I'll have a, a nice sports car or a fancy old truck. And we talk about our desires, and, and our desires become expectations. And it's like we walk down the aisle and, with one thing and we walk out with another. We said, I do, and with all of our desires, and that's all we could have because we've not been there yet with all of our desires. And we walk down the aisle and those desires turns into expectations. And we say things like, but you're my wife. But you're my husband. That, that's what I expect. And we say, when? We talked about this. Matter of fact, I kind of said I would because you said you would. Your daddy was there. Your mommy, your mom was there. And I said I do because when? And these desires become expectations. And, and even if we get what we desire, it's only what I expected anyway. And there's no room for grace. There's no room for gratitude. Well, that's what I expected and so we rarely say thank you. You see, when we understand our gratitude to the Lord, it, it changes how we perceive one another and how we're grateful for the blessings of God. And so we say, I envision, I imagine, I picture. We walk away from that aisle and those desires become expectations. And even if we get what we wish for, it's never really...
You see, this is a message that I had many say, I wish my son would have heard this message. I wish my daughter would have heard this. I wish my husband, I wish my wife was there last week. Well, it's a two-part message, so maybe they're here today. (laughs) We also learned that gratitude generates generosity. All of us have been on mission trips where we've uh, given our time, our talents, our resources, and people were so grateful. I mean, they were just so grateful that, you know, when you walked away, you wanted to give them everything. I remember going to Peru and, and working in South America, and, and, uh, and I took a backpack with me, and I realized they need what I have so much more than I, and I left everything but the clothes on my back because I was so grateful. And gratitude generates generosity in our lives. The theologian W.T. Perkiser said, is not what we say about our blessings, but how we use them that is the true measure of our thanksgiving. We also talked about last week, here's the principle, unexpressed gratitude communicates ingratitude. Some of you texted and emailed and said, you know, if you're relying upon the Lord, you don't need a thank you from the world around you. That's true. But it still hurts, doesn't it? It's a principle. Unexpressed gratitude communicates ingratitude. It has been said that the original sin was a direct result of the failure to be grateful. Think about Adam and Eve. They had everything in the garden. Everything they would ever need was provided for them in that garden. They were just to stay away from one tree. And Satan comes in and says, God is holding back on you. You are entitled. Something is owed to you. You are entitled. And we live in a world full of entitlement. And sin entered into the world. I, uh, this past year, decided to remodel our pantry. We have a pantry, one of these stair. We have a, our kitchen. Uh, there's a staircase that goes up to the upstairs, and the kitchen pantry is actually in the staircase. And there are three shelves on this pantry. And it just really wasn't very efficient. I mean, we could barely get enough stuff in there. And so, you know, we stacked stuff all the way back to the back edge of this pantry. It went all the way back to a point. And we had stuff all... And so anytime you needed to get something, you had to pull everything out to get to those items way in the back. It just didn't function very well. So I said to Debbie, Debbie, I I think I'd like to tear out the drywall and build shelves around the tubifores. And she said, I, I don't know. I said, just trust me. I think it'll be good. <laughs> I said, now, it may not be, but let's try it. And, and she said, okay, you know, let's do that. And so I, you know, I pulled off the left wall, and, and I built the shelves around the two-before's and pulled off the right wall, and there was actually two two-before's. So it wasn't just three inches. It was uh, seven inches. Instead of three and a half inches, it was because there was too, too deep because there was plumbing there. And I framed around the plumbing, and, and I finished the back side of the drywall and finished the back side of the left wall, and, and then I put, cut my um, boards to go around the two-before's. And so now I had not just three shelves, but five shelves all the way up that went from the, all the way from the front of the door all the way to the back of the wall, and they each got shorter as the stairs went up. I, I was so meticulous about this that, that I, you know, I got, went and got cans, and, okay, if I build a shelf that's two cans deep, two cans tall, this is exactly how far apart these shelves need to be. I, I grabbed one of the Costco 
uh, Cheerio boxes. You know those great big, great big Cheerio boxes that there's no shelf big enough for them? Unless you turn it on site. I built a shelf big enough for three Costco boxes of Cheerios. It, it was beautiful. I mean, I painted it white. I uh, took a finish and put it over top of the shelving and so that it would you know, stand up against all the cans moving in and out and, and uh, put shellac on, I don't know what, varnish or something on there. It was clear. Painted it white. I wanted it to be white. Put in an extra light. I mean, it was meticulously designed to become functional. Designed for purpose. I was putting everything back. Had almost every single thing in place, and I reached for a, a big jar of spaghetti sauce. And as I reached up to put it up on the shelf, shelf, it fell out of my hands. And before it even hit the ground, I knew we were in trouble. <laughs> and you did too. And spaghetti sauce went everywhere. It went all over the ceiling and on the light and on the boxes and on the cans and everywhere. And I called, Debbie, we got to sell the house. God himself has created us for his good purpose. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He has a purpose for our lives. And sin comes and makes a mess out of everything. There is sauce everywhere. There's sin everywhere. And we live in a world full of entitlement. You see, we all want to be known for something. We, we have an audience in mind when we get up in the morning. If I'm going, getting up and going to work, I dress a particular way. If I'm getting up and going to school, I dress another way. We have an audience in the mind, in our mind. If we're going to spend time in our neighborhood, we dress a different way. If we're going to school, it looks differently. You see, we want to be known by somebody, and we want to be known for something. The truth is, we want to be friended, liked, followed, and mentioned. And if you're not uh, on Facebook or social media, you probably want to be recognized, admired, sought after, and envied. That's why you bought that new car that you really can't afford and keep it clean. That's why when you go out and your wife says, Honey, I've told you several times that outfit doesn't match. It's okay if you go out looking like that by yourself. But if you're with me... You see, we can't get enough friends, likes, and followers. I have three grandchildren. Connor's the oldest. And Connor came home from the zoo the other day, and, and Connor said, uh, Grandpa, Papa, Grandpa, watch, watch this. And he bought a boomerang. And, uh, you know, he started throwing it. Of course, you know, that's not an easy thing to catch, figure out. And so I, I tried to show him. I, you know, I, was, I failed miserably. Within 15 minutes, He'd mastered this boomerang. Within an hour, within an hour, it had broken. <laughs> but, you know, Grandpa, watch. Grandpa, watch. Aubrey came home from, from camp, and, and uh, she was so excited. You could just see the joy of the Lord on her face. And she said, when, when dinner's over, everybody come into the living room for a show. We'd all gathered in our house, and 
come in for a show, and I'll show, you know, come on in. Everybody, everybody have a seat for the show. And she couldn't wait. I mean, she just could not wait, and she shared every song she learned at camp. She sang it on perfect pitch and in perfect time. She was as proud as a peacock. I mean, she was just beautiful. I thought, man, she is lost. She could lead music. She could direct this. Her grandma lost. Aubrey, Ella, is at the pool, and Ella's jumping in the water. Grandpa, watch. She jumps in the water and swims to the side. Grandpa, watch. She jumps in the water and swims to the side. Grandpa, watch. She jumps in the water and swims to the side. About 30 times she does it. Every time, Grandpa, watch. And finally you think to yourself, how long do I have to watch? It's the same thing over and over again. <laughs> you see, we want to be approved. We want to be known. We want to be liked. The desire to be known is an appetite. And if we're not careful, it's a bottomless pit that can never be satisfied. You see, an appetite is something that we are to manage. I have a, an appetite for ice cream. I love ice cream. I love vanilla ice cream. I love butter pecan ice cream. Oh, butter, I love butter. But it's an appetite. And if I don't manage my appetite, I'd be huge. But simply by managing my appetite, I can enjoy my ice cream. But you see, we have this desire to be known, and it's, it's a desire that must be managed. I want you to raise your hand if you've ever heard of a guy in the Bible named John the Baptist. Pretty much everyone in the room. Everybody knows who John the Baptist is. Who will know you 20 years from now? Who will know you 200 years from now? 2,020 years from now. Today we want to look at the story of John the Baptist. We're going to begin at Mark chapter 1, verse 4. Mark chapter 1, verse 4 says, And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. By the way, this is John was uh, the first to preach a baptism for the repentance of sin. Before this, uh, no one had ever really been baptized by someone else. Before that, it was always ceremonial washing. So if you were converting... Uh, to Judaism, you would go into the river and dunk yourself. It was a ceremonial uh, washing. It was a way of converting from being a non-Jew to a Jew. The whole, then the scripture says, verse 5, the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Now, if you're reading this at home, you might just look over that. The whole... Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. You might think, well, that's hyperbole, you know, where, you know, you say, well, everybody was there. Thousands were there. And even if it is hyperbole, thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands traveled to see John the Baptist. It's kind of like Revive Indiana. It just grew. It grew. It grew. And thousands upon thousands, if they went from Jerusalem, it would take a day to get there to the river. They'd get there late that evening, and then the next morning they'd spend the day with John, and then he would be baptized. And then they'd take a, another day to walk back uphill through Jerusalem. The scripture says the whole 
of Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. This was such a big deal that people began to think that who is this John the Baptist? Is he the Messiah? And John deals with that. If you read the story of John, you'll find that he makes it very clear that he is not the Messiah. John chapter 1, verse 15. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, This is the one I spoke about, speaking of Jesus. He said, Who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Now some of you have walked away from my sermon and said, Pastor, that was kind of confusing. Well, look at this. He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. (laughs) John the Baptist is saying, he has surpassed me. He is greater than I, but he was before me. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John 3.26 says, Then they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, and this is, of course, a, a title of respect, meaning teacher. That man... And they're talking about Jesus. That man, <laughs> you ever had children come to you and say, that woman, that woman over there, it's kind of like a tattletale. That man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing. Now John's followers are saying, hey John, this is your thing. You are John the Baptist. He is what? Jesus we, we don't know. We don't know who this guy is. But you are John the Baptist. He's taking your thing. To this, John replied, and are you listening? Because this is important. Teenagers, are you listening to me today? This is important. John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. What is it I deserve? nothing. A person can receive only what is given him from heaven. John was saying, you see these big crowds? You see these flocks of people that come day after day after day? The thousands upon thousands upon thousands. They haven't come because of me. They become, they've come because of the Lord. A person can receive My recognition, my being known isn't because of me, but it's because of God. A person can receive only what is given them from heaven. John is saying, my fame, this drawing of a crowd, comes not from me, but from God. It's not about me. Verse 28, you yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah. But I am sent ahead of him. He must become greater, and I must become less. You see, this is the key to managing our appetite to be known. He must become greater, and I must become less. You see, when we live our lives for no greater purpose than for ourselves, We end up being controlled by shame, guilt, fears of failure and rejection. When we live our lives defined by self-love, we not only make ourselves unlovely, 
but also at the same time diminish our capacity to experience and give love. He must become greater, and I must become less. Become less. Jesus said it this way in, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Then Jesus said to the disciples, whoever wants to, be bat- whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. We went as a family on vacation. Tyler and Patrick and Aubrey and Connor and Ella went with us. My son, Ryan. We uh, rented a house. It was on the water. It was awesome. It was just amazing. And we had such a good time that week. And my, my parents were there and my brother and his two boys and their families. And there were 17 of us. It was just a family get-together. We just had a wonderful, wonderful week. And flew home, and as soon as I arrived in Fort Wayne, I checked, I checked my text messages. And I had a list of messages. And uh, one of them was from the office. And the text was, we, we're in trouble. <laughs> Those are typically the kind of messages I get, you know. Help! And, uh, well, it, it, there were some cliff swallows that had decided to build nests in the main uh, entrance to our building, door number one where the big overhang is. And there was 25 to 30 nests being built by these cliff swallows. Now what they do is they gather up mud from around the area and they spit it onto the wall. And when they get enough of that mud, then they've made a nest big enough for their eggs. And once they lay their eggs, here's the problem. They become very territorial. And so they'll defend their space. And so if you walk to church and 800 800 of you do every Sunday, they would come at you. And we thought, you know, that's probably not good for attendance. (laughs) And so I texted back and said, uh, okay, you know, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it, and uh, I'll be there first thing in the morning. Just arrived, take care of it first thing in the morning. So first thing, 7 o'clock comes around. I'm here, and I go to the well, and I hook up a hose, and and I go into the uh, storage room, and I get the man lift. And, you know, I, I don't know if you know this, but I have an uncanny sense of balance. So I'm uniquely qualified for working high and doing these types of things. And I, I take the water and turn it on, and I'm up on this man lift, and, and I was surprised. And so I started to spray these beginning nests. They were just beginning. They were enough mud, but it's clearly 25 to 30 of those. I didn't actually count, but there's a lot of nests up there. Uh, these, and the, the swallows just kept coming. I mean, I'd spray it clean, and uh, they'd come at me, and I sprayed them. This is my church. Get away. Get away. (laughs) And they kept coming and they kept coming. And so I finally got all the mud off. There was mud on the front entrance and on this side and on that side. And, and, I mean, there was 25 to 30 of these little nests being built. But the mud just washed away with the power of the water. But there was this stain on on the stucco. And those birds just kept coming. As soon as I laid down the hose, they were back. And they were, I mean, they were putting mud on there. And I got on the Internet to, what do we do? <laughs> How do I take care of this? And, uh, you know, they gave you some things that I could order. But by then, the nest would be built. We'd have eggs. And we, they're a protected bird. <laughs> what am I going to do? And so I keep spraying. And I thought, okay, I'll get soap and water. So I took, so, 